There's a common theme that's woven through our studies this morning and our service today, and that is our focus on the things of God and our focus on knowing Him more and uh, serving Him faithfully, and He will add, He will take care of His people um, in His way, in His time. We do what God's called us to do. He'll take care of us, and that's a promise. And that song was a reminder, and we're going to see that today. As we look into Isaiah, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 40, as we're looking at the joyful themes, the themes of hope and worship in Isaiah. Um, just to, so maybe so that I can be less distracted, but we appreciate uh, your praying. Uh, I just got a text that Arden and Leslie are home, and they're viewing via streaming, so they're with us. <laughs> We're glad for that. And the Mother's Day dinner can go on as planned, <laughs> so we're thankful for that. And then the next couple of weeks, don't forget, as far as um, the speakers that will be here while we're gone uh, next week and the following week, I appreciate Steve Stadola being willing to uh, fill in for us in the morning, Rick's in the evening, and then the following week, Dave Wetzel will be with us for both services. And appreciate these men and their faithful commitment to God's word. And I know you're in good hands while we're away. I'm thankful for that. Well, um, somebody told me last week as we were looking at the beginning of Isaiah 40 that it was one of their favorite chapters of hope, those verses. And really as we come to the end of chapter 40, it's also known as one of the great passages of comfort and consolation for God's people in Scripture. I get to the last verse and you could probably quote that by memory, I would imagine. And Isaiah in context here is describing for the people what they can expect after intense judgment and intense discipline. And there is a lot of the book of Isaiah that talks about judgment for God's people, for Israel, for Judah, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and really all the world. Um, even as we see uh, further tonight, we talk about Babylon. Babylon is mentioned in Isaiah as well, the judgment that will come. A lot of judgment. And so Isaiah is letting God's people know that because of their sin, their idolatry, their rebellion from him, that they will experience great difficulty and chastisement. Ultimately, that will be in their exile as the Babylonians take them away from their homeland and destroy Jerusalem. And so when that takes place, God's people are going to be tempted and certainly fall into the trap of being disheartened and discouraged, and also to start doubting what they know about their God. So Isaiah reminds them at the end of this chapter, don't do that. You know your God. You've been taught him. Really, at this point um, in Isaiah's writings, it's been over a thousand years of history between God and his people, from his revealing himself and delivering them from Egypt and the plagues and the delivery, um, deliverance through the Red Sea and all of these things. And God gave his law, his word to his people. Uh, and they've had this the whole time. They've had great leaders like David and 
many others. There's no excuse really for them to um, neglect or to have amnesia about their God. And yet, as we can well attest, when those difficult times come, whether it's God's discipline upon us or whether it's just his allowing difficult things, things we weren't expecting into our lives, it's tempting to doubt what we know about him, what he's clearly revealed from Scripture. And that's why, again, I'm so thankful for the series Behold Our God and what we heard this morning. When that happens, we need to go back to God's word and remind ourselves of who he is. And Isaiah is going to help us with that this morning. When we're at our weakest or most helpless, that's when God provides the greatest power and strength. And we must not forget that, folks. The Lord would bring his people eventually back to Jerusalem. And even uh, in a broader sense, there would be this consolation after the end times tribulation that takes place that we've been seeing in Revelation. But all of that is a reminder to us that God is present and his glory is present with us, dwelling with us through the power of the Holy Spirit for those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. His word is eternal. His care and protection are everlasting. And we can take comfort. We don't have to be discouraged. The helpless, the weak are strengthened. So let's read verses 27 through 31, the end of the chapter, and we'll go back and then look at verse 21. 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Father, what a glorious truth this is. I'm sure there are weary people among us today. In a sense, we all have our, the things that have entered into our lives that have tired us and made us maybe discouraged or weakened in some ways. But it matters who we put our dependence on and who we run to. Thank you for that reminder in this passage today. And Lord, help us then to run to you and depend upon you throughout all the things of life. Lord, the song I Need You, written by Ron Hamilton, reminds us that no matter what is taking place in our lives, we need you. We need to run to you, run to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and depend on him. So let us be reminded of that and of who you are and your character, that you truly are the all-powerful, the almighty, the Lord of hosts that can take care of his people, like a gentle shepherd carrying his young. Let us be encouraged in this today, Father, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God is certainly powerful over all of his creation. 
And that puts us in awe and wonder of his strength and power, but that same understanding will show us at the end of this passage that God has power to strengthen his children who are not all-powerful, who are very weak and um, helpless. And the more we realize that and depend on him, the better off we are. He is all-powerful. He is the Almighty. And he's stronger than all the intimidating circumstances that we face. And so Isaiah reminds us of this. He's reminding us because he says, even in verse 21, God's people should know this already. As we've said before in context here, Israel, Jacob, um, they have known God for hundreds of years. They've had his word. This is not something that they should be forgetting. But God's ministry in his word is mostly a ministry of reminding us of who he is. And he does that now. And so he says, do you not know? Do you not hear? And really, that's, those are rhetorical questions, right? It really is, you should know. <laughs> and you should be able to hear with understanding ears because when you depend upon me, I'll give you that understanding. So there's no excuse here. Has it not told, been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? And really what he's saying here is that even going back farther beyond the establishment of the nation, that God's people should know this because it's knowledge of him that's been available since creation. This is things that Adam and Eve knew. And so God's people today should know these things as well. But he's going to remind us of them anyway, gracefully and we're graciously and we're thankful that he will do this. So he kind of goes through a list of scenarios here of things that tend to intimidate people, the things that tend to bring us distress, perils of nature, rulers of enemy nations, and many other things. He reminds us that, verse 22, it is He, it is the Lord Almighty, the Holy One, who sits above the circle of the earth. God is above all the goings-on all around the globe, the circumference of the globe. To Him, it's just like a tiny ball that He's looking over, that circle of the whole earth. He sees everything, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Now, don't be insulted. God is not equating us in reality with insects, but he is saying that as far as his power and his majesty and his superiority, we're like little tiny insects. We're like grasshoppers, not even the locusts, but the little grasshoppers. In contrast between his presence, we are small and we are helpless. Helpless to... Um, provide protection for ourselves in any significant way. And he sits and he knows all things. And so uh, this picture continues. He says, He who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And this is a picture of the very skies and maybe even the universe, that the things that we look up and see, the stars, the sun, Sometimes even the planets as we go out and we see those bright little pings of light that aren't really flickering and we can tell, well, that, that's probably a planet. I'm not sure which one that is. Well, God knows which one it is. And he is 
He can take all of the heavens and stretch it out just like we take a shower curtain and pull it to and then pull it back. That simple motion. God can take all of the heavens that we see and this immense vast creation and its beauty and just literally pull it aside. He can pull it to and fro at his bidding. Whatever he wants done will take place. And he says, and it also says at the end of that verse, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Oh, yes, that's right. And basically the idea of um, God's creation is a mere tent to be put up and taken down at his will. All of creation submits and falls in place underneath his power. He is over it all. He is sovereign over it all. He is, has control over it all. And it must do his bidding. Uh, thinking of a tent reminds me of camping. And it's something that our family likes to do. We haven't been able to do a lot of that uh, recently just because of time constraints. But um, we have in the past been able to camp before. And the boys have been asking about it again. Maybe we will do it sometime soon. One of the things I like about camping now more than ever, I remember camping as a child and the tents that they had back then were still, were, they were hardy construction and um, they, they could weather uh, environments very well and, and, and uh, weather conditions and things. But I remember as a child, they were very difficult to put up. It's, at least it seemed like the adults around me were really struggling getting all those, uh, those metal beams and the, the rods and everything together. <clears throat> Um, I don't know if the people that made those tents made them that way on purpose just to be sadistic and to add to the whole uh, camping experience. But uh, I, I do remember in trying to help uh, my parents and other adults and it just seemed like you know trying to get up and you get one side up and the other side would fall down and all this. Well, it is interesting uh, now with our modern day tents, I don't know that there are any uh, more long lasting than those tents. Um, were back then, but they are easier to put up. That is one thing. Uh, really, uh, when we put up a tent with our boys recently, well, it, it's been a number of years, but it seemed like I, I was all nervous that, oh, this is going to be very difficult. I'm going to spend hours and I'm going to look like a fool as it's falling down around me. And we put the bars together. The boys helped me and the tent went up and it was like, wow, that was that hard at all. That's pretty amazing. And then when I wanted to, it was just able to kind of fold together and just, boom, it came right back down. Up. Oh down this is great well <clears throat> it, that's nice and that's helpful with a tent it may give us some sense of superiority look what I did with my hands but how about a God that can take creation and just in a matter of moments take it down set it up right isn't that God superior then to all of us it's like a mere tent to him in fact, he can just snap his fingers. He can, as we'll see in a minute, blow and things fall away. God is superior over his creation, folks. And when we remember his character and his uniqueness and the fact that he is all-powerful, almighty, that puts us in our place, that we are weak and that we need his help. And that's exactly where we need to be. We need that reminder 
As we heard this morning, God needs to be big and we need to be small. And so many times we get that mixed up in our minds. In reality, that's the case. God will always be greater, be big, and we will always be small. But in our sin, in our brokenness, so many times we think of ourselves as great and big and our problems and our schedule and all these things and everybody else has to submit to these things and we make God in our minds very small and we're actually making a false God in our minds because that's not true but we tend to do that we make God small in our minds and ourselves are big are, are great and powerful and Isaiah reminds us you need to turn that around get your thinking right get in place under the power of the Almighty Oh, he's going to continue. He's not done yet. See, the things that we're intimidated by, maybe uh, wicked, evil rulers and their plans for the world, the secret plans to, um, you know, uh, the, of the elite, maybe, to um, deal with the world's population in their own way and then to have just a few left that are going to take over the world and all the different scenarios that we have that we get worked up about politically and different things folks god is not worked up or bothered by any of that there's not one ruler or one powerful uh, um, financial person in the world that has a lot of money and is secretly supposedly working things to his to his own ends there's not one person on this earth that god is worried or intimidated by at all and so maybe that ought to tell us that we ought to be a little less worried even with some of um, the uh, conspiracy theories that we hear sometimes god's not intimidated by secret plans of enemy nations or even false media narratives what does verse 23 say says he brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness rulers very well and this isn't really a conspiracy there are rulers there are arrogant men that have wealth that make their secret plans for domination that is true it's out there but god can bring those people to naught um this idea even of of princes has the idea of political um, opportunists. Princes has the idea of someone thinking that they have more power than they really do in the Hebrew there. Um, someone who thinks they're important, uh, leaders that think they're important and think that things rest on them. Well, I think we could relate to that as far as even our political scene in our country. A lot of folks that think they have a lot of power that think that they're important. But then the rulers of the earth, those that really do have, that are powerful, and those that are princes, these self-important political leaders, says God will reveal that they're, they're actually of no importance. They're of no consequence at all. They think they're, that they um, have a part in moving and shaping things in society. God says, actually, I can make them of, of nothing at all and, and prove that they have no real importance. And those that are powerful rulers in the world, he can make them as emptiness. Okay? Uh, he can help, he can make them just lose all their significance and power in a second. God's not intimidated by these rulers at all. He continues with their, uh, this description here. Scarcely are they planted. 
scarcely sown. Scarcely have do they get their name recognition in the world. Then scarcely has their stem, stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. These uh, leaders and rulers and political um, advisors, all of these people think and, and, and they, they live their whole lives to get their names out there, to be important and to help other people or, or, or extend themselves and make other people think that they're important. They're all about self-promotion. Isaiah says, whenever God desires, he literally blows on them like the blowing on a dandelion. <laughs> and they're gone. They're done. Their time is done. I was thinking about this. Even in the past, in my lifetime, the political um, leaders that I appreciated and, and those that I didn't as much. In fact, um, I was more politically activated and astute when I was younger and following. And there were certain political uh, peoples on the other side of the aisle from the other party and things that really made me nervous and that seemed like they were they had plans um, to uh, twist and, and to reshape our country in ways that were not biblical and uh, made me anxious, made others anxious. Uh, and they had their time on the political stage, whether in Congress or in the Senate or maybe even the president. But then... Is interesting, as God took them off the scene and their lives were over, it, I thought back, all these people that made us nervous and made us concerned, they're not even talked about at all anymore. I don't even hear these people talked about. It's almost as if, well, we used you for our purposes and you're gone, so move on to the next political um, ruler or, or, or the, one the one of political importance, and we totally forget about those in the past. That's really what Isaiah is pointing out here is they are, they are, but for a moment, God blows on them, they wither, and they're blown away, never to be heard from again. Why do we let ourselves be intimidated by these folks and anxious when we serve a God who will take care of them in the end? Then, he reminds us how unique he is. He's stronger than all intimidating circumstances, and he is uniquely superior to all that he has created. Verse 25, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him? Says the Holy One, the unique one, the one that is superior, the one that is pure above all. See, part of the problem is when we um, get discouraged and we start thinking wrong things about God, we start putting him and acting as if he's like one of us. As if, you know, well, I don't hear from God and he's allowing this into my life. And I know why people do that to me because they're mad at me or they're frustrated with me or they're planning something awful against me. So God must be doing that too. And he says, oh, no, 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 don't compare me to you. To whom will you then compare me that I should be like him? Don't you compare me to anyone else you know. I am uniquely above it all. And I have my own purposes that many times you don't even understand. We can do that with people, can't we? We can misinterpret and even with other people think that they're acting in a certain way 
and oh, it must be because of this, and it must be because of this, and then so many times later we find out, oh, that wasn't the reason they were doing that at all. How embarrassing. Um, I need to be more careful. Well, if we can do that with people, folks, don't we need to be even more careful in ascribing things to God that aren't true? God, you don't care. God, you don't see me. You don't listen to me. No, God says that's not true at all. You remember from my word who I am. And just like Job, when Job is almost accusing God at the end of um, his uh, time of, of difficulty, and God gives him that master quiz where he quizzes him on all nature and, and, and the animals and things. God kind of gives his people a quiz here. In verse 26, he says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is the one that's in control of all the heavenly bodies of space. You know, even as we get our big telescopes out there and we're trying to see what's going on and trying to see the beauty of space, and it really is amazing. I don't know if you've seen pictures from some of our modern-day telescopes that they've put back into space. Some of these galaxies and these black holes and these things are like artists have taken paint and just spread it all over a black canvas, and it is it is unfathomable, the, the beauty of it. And you can't see some of these pictures from these space telescopes without realizing, without for those that are not arrogant, without thinking, wow, I, I really am small. <laughs> God loves me, but I'm insignificant when it comes to the vast grandeur and splendor of the universe. And we try to name these systems, we try to name the systems, we try to name the stars, we try to name the planets, and we think we've done pretty well with that, and sometimes we can even say, well, we're going to name that planet Pluto, and that's an actual planet, and then, you know, decades later, well, that's not even a real planet, that's a dwarf planet, and then there's a lot of arguing about that. We can't even uh, come to agree on the name of a planet and what it is. But Isaiah says, God knows them all. And he has named billions of them. He has a name for all of them. He takes into account of them all. He knows whether Pluto's a dwarf planet or not. He probably has another name for it entirely. He knows these things. And we just can't even scratch the surface. And we think we're so um, knowledgeable and so um, understanding about the ways of the universe. A big bang just happened and all of this took place. What foolishness. Man's speculation is as nothing. And God says, lift your eyes high and be amazed. Look, who created these things? He knows the number. He has a name for all of them. The power of his might. He's strong in power. That has the idea of vigor, powerful to exert strength. He is capable of expressing and using his power. He, uh, he is truly all-powerful and able to do all things. And nothing gets by his scrutiny. Not one is missing. Every time we see a comet or we hear about a star that has, um, I don't know if they fade out, but they implode or something and then these black holes happen. I don't understand it entirely. And I know we don't either, but God does and he knows. He knows when they're done, when their time span is done. He knows each life. We were at Reed's 
um, service yesterday, a graveside service, and it was a beautiful day, folks. And I, maybe we don't like to think of cemeteries as beautiful, but uh, this cemetery up on New Boston was on the top of this hill. And you could look out and you could see the beauty of the trees in spring and the blue sky. And you could see New Boston below. And it was just like, Lord, if Reed could have picked a day, he couldn't have picked a better day to have this. Um, and it really was just a, a blessing to be able to be there and remember him and think of, of his... Um, faithful service. And yet, uh, God had a time for Reed. He has a time for each and every one of us. And we don't get to pick that time. That's in his venue. That's his decision. Because he is overall. Nothing gets past his scrutiny. Well, with that kind of power and superiority, what should his children do? That's the rest of the passage. Isaiah reminds us then, what our response is. That is, we can trust him to strengthen us. He's superior over our deficient understanding. And isn't it true during times of intense hardship, we're tempted again to think, oh, God doesn't even notice me. He doesn't care about me. Or he's not willing. I'm in an unfair situation. And he's not willing to take my cause and to hear my case and to make things fair and to um, make the verdict fair for me. God doesn't care. And again, a reminder to us that what we think about God then drives our emotions. Um, our emotions aren't the ones that control us, but our thinking controls our emotions, and then our emotions tend to get the better of us. And folks, when we think right things about God, that will control our emotions about God. All of this is wrapped up as Isaiah reminds us of these things. It's not true that God's forgotten us. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, God's people? Again, in context, this he's saying, when you are taken off into exile, you're going to be tempted to question God. And at that moment, don't do it. Don't question God. You're going to be tempted to say this, my way is hidden from the Lord. God doesn't care about me very emotional response that's bound up in theology that somehow God somehow misses some of the problems or uh, allows his people to go and, and have bad things happen to them and just turns his back and forgets about them. No, that's a human response. We tend to do that. God doesn't do that. But we can, we can think that way. My way is hidden from the Lord or my right is disregarded by my God. God is not willing, he's not available today to take up my case that I need him to hear. He's like the lawyer that's overbooked, and I can't have him address my case for weeks or months later. I'm just going to have to wait. Isaiah says, you have no right to say or think those things. Because you've been taught who your God is. You have right information. He says, verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? And again, that's rhetorical. He's saying, you should have known. You should have understood. You've had this understanding. Again, since in some ways, since creation. Since God created the world, that he is all-powerful. And when we start to think that he has forgotten us, or that he is not working on our behalf, we lack understanding of his character. 
Don't when you start to feel like you need to blame God, realize folks, you need to blame yourself and realize I am I'm I have lost my understanding of who God is. And I need to bring that around and bring it back to the right ways of thinking. Isn't it true that many times we can't even make sense of life? And so we must submit to God's reality. Because verse 28, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's eternal. He's created all that we see. All of creation is under his purview. He never gets tired. He never gets exhausted. Really, the picture here is someone that's just exhausted. Maybe you've done something recently, exerted yourself, and you've been weary, and you come in wanting water, and you just want to take a nap and rest and gain your strength back. Remember, just because it says God's rested in, in the creation account, that doesn't mean that he needed a nap. He was providing an example for all of us that we're finite. But God doesn't need a nap. He doesn't get tired or weary or exhausted. Oh, these people are just driving me crazy today. There's so many things I've had to take care of. I just need a rest. God never gets that way. God never feels that way, folks. And when we who do get that way, when we're tired and we're tempted to think of him like us, he reminds us his understanding is unsearchable. In other words, we're not able to fully search him out or understand everything about God. God's people sometimes fall into that trap too with their theological interpretations and things where they come to at some extremes where they say, this must be how God acts and does things, but they don't um, come to that conclusion based on scripture, but it's on um, logic that points them, well, if God says this, then he must do this. And sometimes in order to try to figure God out, they go beyond what God has said in his word. And we just have to, folks, remember again that we're not going to ever fully understand God. As much as our little finite pea Sized minds try to think and understand of what's going on. We're never going to fully understand. His understanding, why he does things, is unsearchable to those of us that are part of his creation. So what must we do? We trust his word. We trust his disposition to us. Don't have spiritual amnesia about the person of our God. He's eternal, the God of Israel, the creator who accomplishes magnificent things and yet never gets tired or weary and trust his disposition to his children regardless of what's going on around you because he will renew the strength of the weary. Even those folks with the most energy and vigor among us still eventually get tired. We think of our young people. And we envy their energy and their um, ability to get involved in all kinds of things. Sometimes many things that they shouldn't get involved in because you've got, you know, you got to steer their efforts and say, okay, if I don't get them involved in something um, that's helpful and productive here, they're going to find something else to do that's not so helpful. So let's steer that energy and let's steer that power of youth into doing these things because there's so much energy and vigor, but even young people get tired. Even young people need to sleep at night. And we, of course, 
Even this weekend, we've had a lot going on, and it was apparent to me our boys need to get to bed right away. They need the rest that they need. And we understand that happens because we're all finite. So verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Those that are exhausted and those that are totally helpless with no ability of their own, those are the folks that he gives power to. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exalted, exhausted. Excuse me. And God says you're all are really in the end helpless and tired. And I will give you strength. And I will strengthen and give vitality to the weak and to the helpless. He makes, folks, the powerless powerful. We don't like to look at ourselves as powerless and weak and needing of help. But we must see ourselves in that way in order to access the power and the strength and the vitality and energy that God gives to all his people. Because he gives that power to the spiritually, the physically exhausted. Again, he who has no might. Folks, every one of us must come to the point where we realize that each one of us has no ability to help ourselves. We have no might. We're helpless. Nobody likes to be helpless. And yet we must. So that God can infuse us with his strength. And then we're reminded that it all comes from him. I had a seminary professor that was very humble in admitting that as a child that he was picked on. Um, he was not one of the powerful people. He, he had friends that um, had... Uh, worked on their physique and uh, had muscles on their muscles, but he wasn't one of these. He said his, my, his power was in his mind. He wasn't quite as humble about that. But he said, my, my power was in my mind. That was my muscle. But he said, when it came to defending myself, I had a real difficult time doing that, and I got picked on a lot. He said, so I knew I was helpless in that way, and I knew that in and of myself, I was never going to have victory over these bullies and these people so i learned in high school to befriend other people other guys who could help me and who were bigger than me and more powerful than me and he said eventually especially as i ended my high school career and i had these friends whenever someone would try to pick on me there would be somebody more powerful that was my friend that was nearby that would come by and all of a sudden, I looked a whole lot more powerful than I really was because I was depending on someone who was more powerful than me. Well, that's good advice when it comes to our situation with God. Depend on Him and His power. And He will protect us. And He will strengthen us. We need to wait on Him. That's the command as we finish up today. But that waiting is looking with confidence and full expectation, not with frustration. Oh, come on, God, hurry up. Don't you know my time frame? Don't you know my schedule? Let's hurry up. That, that's not waiting. That's getting impatient. But God says, wait with full faith, waiting with your whole being. And those that wait, verse 31, marvelous, marvelous truths. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And practically worked out in daily life as one that trusts God for strength to serve with the full expectation that God will fulfill his promises. If you've ever seen a hawk or an eagle, don't they make flying seem so easy? They just kind of glide in the air. And it's like, you know, and then they swoop down and they catch their prey and then they lift them back up again. And it's marvelous to see. It looks, it looks effortless. Well, we know that we can't do that. I wouldn't suggest you trying to do that. But the picture here is that God, when we're at our lowest, he can literally help us to take flight and he can give us the power and the strength to continue on and to serve him effectively. The idea of not being weary here is being able to give full energy to service and not being weary or not being exhausted. And we can get exhausted in serving God and following after his things. And so Isaiah says, depend upon the strength of the one who is all-powerful when you are not all-powerful. And he will lift you up like an eagle and enable you to fly and continue on. He will renew the strength of the exhausted and weary. So are you weary, despondent, or maybe discouraged? Frustrated by the things that God's allowing into your life? What do we do? Throw yourself on our Heavenly Father. And let Him lift you up like those eagles. Like those birds of prey. And give you strength to continue today, the next hour throughout our lives he will renew our strength he will strengthen the helpless and the weak when we depend upon him father what a wonderful reminder this is lord as a church we are anxious and we are questioning in some ways it's we're at least tempted to Lord, help us as a church today to rest on you. We're tired. We're, we're weary of this evil, dark world. And it's evil rulers and those that reject you and rebel against you. We're weary of it all, Lord. Thank you for this reminder that we must depend and throw ourselves on you. You will help us to fly to serve you faithfully until Jesus returns. And we look forward to that day. Strengthen us until that time. Renew our commitment and our dependence on you. And enable us wherever you call us to serve to do that faithfully. Strengthen us for the task. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.